0: What we're going to do today is we're going to look at a scripture passage together from the book of John starting in the 11th chapter. We're going to be doing this as our beginning of a sermon series called Come Alive. This is going to be just a three-part series today, Good Friday, and then uh, Resurrection Sunday. And so we'll be looking at this idea of coming alive and what does it mean for us to come alive because Jesus came back to life. Today we're going to be looking at the idea of God being in control. But for us to do that, we're going to start with a scripture passage from John chapter 11. And we'll, we'll hear about this it's, it's a week or so before Jesus goes to the cross in that last week. This is what it says. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Marian and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was now sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. We'll hear about that in a second. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see but this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His friends replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Now when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and they'll take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for the nation, but also the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Let's pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, as we've read this scripture passage, I pray, Lord, that you would bring it to our minds what you have been doing throughout these narratives, these stories. Help us to to understand why is this important? Why is this in the account of John? Thank you for it, Lord, and help us to understand what you are doing both then and now in our lives as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're celebrating Palm Sunday, which is the kind of the the beginning of the end in the story of Jesus's life on earth. Jesus goes to Jerusalem. He is arrested and he is tried and he is convicted and he is found so guilty of whatever crime they find him of that they crucify him. And he dies. And then, a couple days later, they go to prepare his body, and his body's not there. He's risen from the dead. It's an interesting part of the Christian story here. And I want us to focus today on the fact that God was in control of it all. God was in control of it all. Now, some people would look at the crucifixion and see it as a result of Jesus ticking off the wrong people. You know, if Jesus had just kept his mouth shut and hadn't made the religious authorities so mad, maybe they wouldn't have wanted to crucify him. If he hadn't of made the Romans so afraid, maybe they wouldn't have crucified him. And so because of that, he lost his life. Some people completely misunderstand the nature of God here. They see the crucifixion as some sort of a of a, a child abuse idea where, where God the Father sends his son to die. And yet they misunderstand that Jesus came to die freely. Some people will see the crucifixion as a result of miscommunication. Maybe all the things that made the Romans and the Jewish people mad about Jesus, the fact that he said he was the Son of God, the fact that he said that the Father and he were one, the fact that he said that no one comes to the Father except through him, maybe they just misunderstood him. Maybe he didn't mean to say those things in those ways. Maybe... It was simply misunderstanding. And if that's the case, any of these things, this becomes a real tragedy. An innocent man goes to his death simply because something got mixed up in the process. It was an accident. And it's incredibly tragic. Today, I want to suggest to you that that, in fact, is not true. I want to suggest to you that God was and still is in complete control. That God was in control of the crucifixion. And in that way, that Jesus himself was in control of going to the cross. If we backtrack in the book of John to John 10... This is what it says. I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus talking. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Does that sound passive to you? Does that sound an accident to you? This is weeks, maybe months, before the crucifixion. And Jesus says right here, And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Listen, no one, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The cross was not an accident, the cross was not God's plan B. It's interesting, actually, we could backtrack all the way to the beginning of the Bible. Right after God has created the whole world, and he creates Adam and Eve, he creates the first humans, and what happens? We rebel against God. We turn our backs against God. We want to be God ourselves. And we fall into this thing that the Bible calls sin. And we mess up the world that God had created for us. And some people might look at that and go, okay, in that time... God's up in heaven and he's fretting and he's worried and he says my beautiful creation was just destroyed I need a backup plan, get Jesus warming up in the bullpen that's not what happened, that's not what happened at all, 1 Peter 1 19-21 says this for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but rather with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb, without blemish or defect. Jesus is the reason why we have been saved. We were given this ancient sin, and yet Jesus is the one who has saved us from us, Here's what it says in verse 20. He was chosen, Jesus. Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so that your faith and hope are in God. God's plan of salvation happened before we messed up. Yes, if that just blows your mind, that's okay. God had Jesus had the cross in mind before he created you and I. And the amazing thing is he still created you and I. And what that tells me is that God knew that if he gave his creation humanity, if he gave us the choice, that loving choice to love him or to not, to obey him or to not, that at some point we would choose not. At some point we would choose to disobey. He knew that if he gave us that loving option, that we would take it. And that we would turn away from him. That we would abandon him. And we would find ourselves in desperate need of him once again. And yet he still gave us that choice. Because the alternative is to make us like robots. To make us like people who don't have the choice whether to love or not. I've shared this before with you. One of my sons and, one my, and my daughter was up here. And if they came to me... If a bell went off in the kitchen, an alarm went off in the kitchen, they walked over to me and said, it's time for your hug, Daddy. And then robotically left. I wouldn't want that. I don't think any parent here would. We want our children to love us because they choose to love us. Not because they fear us. Not because we're manipulating them. Not because we're threatening or enticing or bribing them. The same is true of God. He wants us to love him for who he is. And so he gives us that choice. And so, here we see three kind of depictions of what's happening before the crucifixion. The first one we see is Lazarus, who's died. Lazarus has died And it's a tragic time. But there's something beautiful that's happened here. Because Lazarus has died, it shows us that the father has authority over death. Lord, Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection, at the last day. She believed in the resurrection already. But Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. I want to suggest to you that there are two reasons why Lazarus was raised to life. There are two reasons why Lazarus was raised to life. And neither of them are because life is better than death. It's interesting because for a believer, death is not the end. Martha says that already in here, right? She has a belief system that the dead will rise on the last day. She's got that theology correct. She knows that her brother believed in Jesus. So why would Jesus raise him to life again? I think for two reasons here. Number one, because Lazarus' resurrection foretells Jesus' resurrection. The story of Lazarus rising from the dead is so close to when Jesus rises from the dead that it is a sample. It is a taste test, as you will. It is to wet our our lips for something even greater. This man rose from the dead. Jesus is going to rise from the dead. And that resurrection is going to bring the hope that all of us one day will rise. And so it foretells Jesus' resurrection, which is just cool. But I want to suggest to you that there's maybe even another layer here. And the other layer is this. It shows that the Father has the authority over death. The Father has authority over death. And the Father has given Jesus that authority in this instance. The Father has authority over death. Why is that significant? Well, it's significant for those who are watching. Because when Jesus rises from the dead, they're going to ask, well, who raised him from the dead? Who had authority over death in that case? And the answer is the Father does. And so it gives those around Jesus, Mary, Martha, even Lazarus, a reminder that the Father is in control. But it also, I believe, I believe that it also gives Jesus reassurance. It gives Jesus reassurance that the Father is in control. That if the Father can raise Lazarus, then the Father can raise me as well. You see, Jesus at this point knows that he's going to die. I'm not sure whether he knew that in his whole lifetime or not, but he knows at this point that he's going to the cross. His mind is set to Jerusalem. He is going to the cross. He knows he's going to die. We also know from when he's in the garden that he doesn't really want to. There is a human side of Jesus that doesn't want to feel that pain, that doesn't want to be separated from the Father in that death. And we can understand that. And so in this sense, Jesus is being reassured by the Father. I got this. I am in control. In a sense, it's a faith builder for even Jesus. And it can be a faith builder for us as well. Then, after Lazarus is raised from the dead, we see this kind of this side depiction of the Pharisees, where they start to again plot Jesus' death, and they don't know what to do. And there's this man, Caiaphas, he's the high priest that year. And Caiaphas says something profound. This is what he says. First of all, he says, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Let me say that again. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. I want to suggest to you that here again we see a clear sign of God being in control. A man who is an antagonist of Jesus. Someone who is not on Jesus' team here. Someone who wants to kill Jesus is used by God to prophesy. Now, this is one of those cases where you can read it two ways. You can read it the way that Caiaphas probably meant for it to be read, to be be understood. And you can read it the way that the prophecy is. I want to share both those with you. Because I don't think Caiaphas went home that day and said, Oh my goodness, what did I just say? I just predicted that Jesus would die for all of humanity. I don't think he meant that or or even understood that he said that. Instead, I think that Caiaphas meant in the best mafia voice he could. Listen, this guy, he's a problem. So just take care of it. Take him for a ride. Get him a new pair of concrete shoes. Make him sleep with the fishes. I think that that's what he really meant. He meant Jesus is a problem, so take care of the problem. It's much better that Jesus die and we just wipe our hands clear of it. Because if Jesus doesn't die, then maybe the Romans are going to come and they're going to tear down our temple and they're going to destroy our nation. It's actually interesting. That's what happens about 40 years later. But the prophecy here is so much greater. Caiaphas, not knowing what he says, predicts that Jesus would die for the nation, more than for the nation, for all of humanity. That if one could die for the many, a sacrificial, substitutionary death on the cross, only God could do that and only humanity deserved that and in Jesus, the God-man we find the solution to sin fast forward a couple days and we see a meal, Jesus was hanging out with people at meals all the time he's my kind of guy, I like him And there was this meal. And Martha, who we'd heard about a little bit before, she was serving in the kitchen. That was her gifting. Lazarus, who had been dead like a week before, he's reclining at the table. He's just probably happy to be alive. Eating some food. It's fantastic. And then there's Mary. Mary is this person that is kind of brash. She's kind of impulsive I think some of you can just really resonate with Mary in that she loves Jesus so much that she can't stand still that she just wants to be with him she doesn't always think through what she's doing and in this case it's the same she grabs this big big beautiful thing of perfume It's so expensive. It's probably been passed down generation after generation after generation. That expensive. She breaks it open and she pours it on Jesus' feet. And then she starts to just cry and to wipe his feet with her hair. And people protest. But Jesus says, this is important. Pay attention to this. Have you ever been somewhere... In a kind of a small room, and you walk in, and immediately you know someone's wearing too much perfume. It's almost like there's a wall, right? You just like you walk in, and it almost it takes your breath away, and immediately you start trying to figure out who it is. Who's got all this perfume on? That was the case of Mary. Imagine someone breaks open a bottle of perfume and pours it on someone. Now, in my household, my wife really tries to teach our kids, less is more. Less is more. Less hair pieces is more. Less paint is more and certainly less perfume is more. I don't think Mary ever had a mum like that. She thought that more was more. Now not only would Mary smell like this perfume because it was all over her hair, but Jesus would have smelled like this perfume for days and days and days. Remember, these guys have a different understanding of hygiene than we do. They would have their like monthly or more bath. So if you got perfume on you, it was staying until the end of that month. Now this perfume was a perfume that was meant for burial. It was meant for preparing someone's body. And that was, that was the Jewish custom. When someone died, they would be wrapped in linens and they would have spices and perfumes put on them. Because again, as we, as we heard about with Lazarus, when someone dies, they start to smell. There was no embalming process here. It was the perfumes and the spices and you buried them and that was a way that you prepared them for death. And Jesus would have smelt like death, like someone prepared for death at dinner that day. And then later on in the garden and then later on at the trial, imagine the soldiers looking at each other, do you smell that? Do you smell that? And then at the crucifixion, when you crucify someone, you raise them up on a cross, and your head is at their feet level now. It's interesting, because Jesus dies right before the Sabbath. Right before this holy sacred day of the Jewish people where no work could be done. In fact, it was becoming so close to the Sabbath that the religious leaders asked that the Romans go and break the legs of the men on the crosses so that they would die quicker. And they go and they break the one guy's legs, they break the other guy's legs, and they get to Jesus, and Jesus said, He's already dead who's that close to the Sabbath because they knew that they needed to get these bodies off the crosses before the Sabbath or else they wouldn't be able to do anything. So what that means is that the people who loved Jesus, those who were there with him at the cross, those who wanted to take down his body and to prepare his body for burial, they didn't have time to do it. So Joseph... One of them there, he takes down the body and puts it in his own tomb, but he didn't have time to do the spices. The women, Mary, Martha, didn't have time to do the spices. They had to come three days later when they found that the tomb was empty. They were coming to prepare his body. But God knew. God knew when and where. Jesus was going to die. And he uses Mary here to prepare his body for burial days before. My friends, as we move towards Good Friday, as we move towards the resurrection, I want you to know something God was in control. God was in control. This was a plan since before the world began. God was in control. And if God was in control then, I believe that God is in control now. And as we reflect on that, as we reflect on Jesus' death for you, on the resurrection that brings you hope of eternal life, I want to ask you this question. What do you need to trust God in today? What is there in your life that you need to trust that God has got it covered? That God is still in control? Is there some part of your life that you feel is completely out of control? And that you need God, to take control of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are in control. Thank you that these stories in in the book of John, they point to you being in control. They point to you knowing what's happening. This was not something that took you by surprise. You are not a God who gets surprised. You know us. And even just right now, you know our hearts and you know what we need. And Father, I just pray that you would reach us and touch us where we need, that you would show us your love, that you would remind us that you are with us through whatever we're going through. Father, help us to surrender that control to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.